Got a very special edition of the show for you this week. I don't really like the term rerun, so I'm going to call this Top Rope Nation Remix. What I have for you is a show that we did almost exactly one year ago where we looked back at the history and greatest moments of WWF in your house. So why am I presenting this to you today? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Of course, this Sunday night is the second ever edition of NXT TakeOver in your house. Last year's show was the reason we produced this historical look back at In Your House, but also because myself and Kyle have been out of town this week, which has made it a little bit difficult to record a new show. So we thought, let's run it back. Let's uh, replay last year's edition of our In Your House retrospective. It was a really good show. If you've never heard it, make sure you listen all the way through. If you heard it at the time, maybe you'll enjoy listening again. It's Kyle, Justin, and myself, and we were joined on the show by none other than Zach Haydorn, good friend of the show, at the time columnist from Pro Wrestling Torch, and today he is the assistant editor of Pro Wrestling Torch. So a really good discussion. Hope you guys enjoy this. We'll be back next week with a brand new edition of Top Rope Nation. In fact, two new editions of Top Rope Nation, as we will be presenting our flagship show and, of course, our weekly bonus show over on Patreon. Enjoy the show. Guys, it's episode 146, Top Rope Nation. We're getting retro on you this week. We are talking about the legacy of WWF slash WWE in your house. We've got a great crew on the line to break it all down. We're going to be talking about some of the greatest matches in the history of the event. So on the line with me tonight, I do have Justin Joint and Kyle Ross, my usual sidekicks, as well as Zach Haydorn from Pro Wrestling Torch and Fan Sided, who joined us on our Thursday show. And so we're going to kind of just dive right into it with the In Your House discussion for the Monday show here this week and uh, just kind of run down some facts about In Your House itself, how it got started and everything. And uh, before I do that, though, I just kind of wanted to talk to you guys. I mean, did you guys order these as fans in the mid-90s very often at all? I mean, Kyle, how often were you ordering the In Your House pay-per-view events? Can't say I ever paid for one. Definitely watched a few. <laughs> <laughs> Love that take. Justin, I think yeah. uh, you're you're going to be in a similar boat if I remember your uh, situation in the mid-90s and how pay-per-view happened in your household. Hold on. I'm contacting the FBI to report. Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the step. Hey. With the statute of limitations passed on <laughs> 23-year-old the scramblers. Uh, just in my house, by the way. If the FBI is listening, I will gladly give up the person whose house it was at just to save myself. <laughs> Justin, 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 didn't you have one of the – was it your dad had one of those like 
huge antennas that you would see people having in the 80s and 90s in his yard or something? He he did. And for about a year, I got every pay-per-view for free. But thank God that was during uh, 91, 92. Oh, yeah. That's like your prime WCW era, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Check the archives over on Patreon because uh, we talked about Super Brawl 2 on Top Rope Nation Classics, the Patreon-exclusive show. Justin loves that era for sure. And uh, Zach, you kind of talked about your history with wrestling fandom on Thursday's show. If you guys didn't catch that show and you want to know all about Zach, you can check it out on Thursday's show. He talked about how he got into wrestling and and uh, podcasting with Pro Wrestling Torch and all of that. So talking about getting into wrestling in 98, that was kind of the tail end of In Your House, Zach. But did you have a chance to order any of those live in 1998? Uh, I was a pay-per-view scrambler as, as well, but it wasn't me. It wasn't me. It was a, a close friend. And you know what? I, I, I'll keep that friend under wraps unless, you know, I <laughs> comes running. Uh, yeah. But yeah, no. So I did. I came in at the tail end. Um, I did watch them and then obviously went back and, and, and watched all of them. Um, but uh, but yeah, it, it's kind of like a, it, it's part of, you know, my fandom of wrestling, but not not something that was, you know, instrumental in, in defining me as a wrestling fan or anything like that. I more so went back and checked it out uh, in the rearview mirror. Yeah. So I don't think I saw any of them live prior to like 98. And then I saw a few at friends' houses and stuff. We're going to talk about like what the price of these shows were at the time here in just a minute, which was incredibly cheap, even by modern standards. But I still couldn't convince my parents to pay for them. <laughs> Quick question: How did how did you guys watch these? Because like it was really hit or miss on if my local uh, rental store had them. It seemed, re- I mean, really random which ones they popped up. I didn't see most of them until I got into tape trading, like late '90s, early 2000s. I would say. That, I was going to say that's funny. I was thinking of that exact same thing, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, my first tapes that I bought off eBay were in your houses because yeah. I didn't have like it was bad blood in my it was a tape of mind games and bad blood together yeah I remember getting into like Coliseum videos and stuff and they would put out mm-hmm. these shows with different names like they wouldn't call mm-hmm. them in your house on the tape they'd have some weird yep. I can't even think of what, what they were called winter combat yeah stuff like that spring explosion yep and then it would be like all the matches from in your house so and so like in fine print and those those tapes in the late 90s, early 2000s, I used to buy them on eBay, like probably a lot of you guys did. And they would go for so much money. Like the Coliseum video in your house shows were always the highest ones, I think, from what I recall, as far as the auction goes. Kyle, you talked about buying a lot of Coliseum videos before back in that era. Were you ever able to, to nail down any of the in your house shows? Yeah, I probably have almost all of them. Uh, fun fact, I think the only WWF pay-per-view pre-2002 that I haven't watched is the It's Time show. Okay. December 96. Yeah, the December 96. I never bothered to watch it. And I I really think I've seen every other one but that. I was thinking about that earlier today, and I, I can't vouch that with 100% certainty, but I'm pretty damn sure that's the only pay-per-view like pre-2002 that I have not seen. Hmm. Interesting. You know, one of the things I, I used to like on the In Your House days back then is on the Sunday morning show, like Superstars, and then I think, uh, was it Action Zone around that time, too? 
Like mm-hmm. they used to film at the venue that in your house was going to be at later yeah. that that night. And I do yeah, remember yep. on the Sunday of the It's Time, December '96, in your house, they did something with like there was a brawl going on at the arena in the morning. I think it was Brett and Sid, or maybe it was Sean. I, I can't remember. There was like a brawl. I think on Superstars that morning. I don't know if any of you guys remember that at all. But I used to love tuning in on on Sunday mornings because they would be doing stuff actually like at the venue from the pay-per-view that night and that's that's why that show in particular uh stands out to me but um yeah we're going to talk about how the shows got started like why did they start this event called in your house what's the background there but before we do get some some uh housekeeping items out of the way so of course we're members of the blue wire podcasting network check out bluewirepods.com for all of your podcasting needs also if you are listening to our show for the very first time, regardless of what podcasting app you're using, hit that subscribe button. It helps us out a lot. Leave us a written review. Leave us five stars. Each and every one means a whole lot to us. We thank you for your support. And if you really want to support the show, head on over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Nation. And you can read the details there on all the exclusive benefits and a free gift you can get in the mail for signing up. So check it out. WWF started the In Your House pay-per-view in May of 1995, May 14th to be exact. Uh, the first event was held in Syracuse, New York, and it's pretty iconic because they gave away a house in Orlando, Florida. So WWE even having the ties to Orlando back in 1995, evidently. Uh, that was, you know, they called the show In Your House. They're giving away a house. That was the big draw. And it worked because this show actually did the the largest amount of pay-per-view buys of any In Your House ever. That goes up until February of 1999 when the last In Your House happened. 332,000 buys for the first show, May 14th, 95. Kyle, did you enter the giveaway contest at the time? I did not. My parents were very happy where we were at. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll say this, just a little addendum to your thing, and I'll let you go with the rest of these facts and figures. That very much bucks the trend that was going on in 1995. Like, business was real bad in 95. Mm -hmm. So for... A show to do well like that, even if it was just kind of a one-off, because the rest of your houses did generally decline over time, um, shows that probably the house giveaway did work in drawing people yeah. because, you know, I don't know what else it would have been. <laughs> no, for sure. Yeah, I mean, the drawing, they did it during the pay-per-view live. Todd Pettengill's out there. He had to call twice the first time. He, it's like he forgot to hit nine or something. I don't know. but like it, Todd always had a lot of calling <laughs> trouble on these pay-per-views. <laughs> he did. Uh, we talked about, uh, they did the million-dollar one, uh, SummerSlam 97. If you check the archives on our Patreon page when we reviewed that show, we talked about that giveaway as well, and they had a lot of issues Sorry, there, too. Sorry, I'm not watching. <laughs> But this one, so he messes up the first time and then he calls and it's really, it's actually really good to watch back because it's a legitimate moment. Uh, Vince is laughing after he misdials the first time, which is funny because, you know, inside Vince is just like cursing. He's so pissed that Todd Pettengill screwed this up. But they call and like the father answers and you can hear the kids screaming in the background because they won. And then the dad like doesn't believe it on the phone. But it was an 11 year old kid that won out in uh, Henderson, Nevada. His name was Matt 
Pompicelli. Actually, WWE.com did an interview with him back in 2012 where they asked him if he still lived in the house. And he said, no, I actually sold it about six months after we won it. Because, uh, <laughs> like, I mean, what are they going to do? You know, they're not going to they're not going to move. He said that they had just moved from New York to the Las Vegas area. So they weren't exactly going to move to Orlando. And uh, they thought about renting out the house. You know, but decided to sell it. He got about one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars for it, which in ninety-five, that's, that's a really good yeah. pull. So he wow. wasn't. Was it the deal that WWE was going to cover the mortgage for just a year? I thought there was something about that too. I was going to research that, but I, I didn't. I didn't come across anything like that. Okay. But, that would be so WWE to do that. <laughs> Here's your house, yeah. and it's one payment. <laughs> you're, this isn't this new development like your house insurance is going to be sky high good luck buddy <laughs> see you later no P- <laughs> we've got great news for you too we've cut your pmi but you're on the hook for everything else <laughs> oh yeah like there's like a neighborhood fee homeowners association and all that yeah no he sold 175 grand that's a really good poll though i mean he said he used it to pay his way through college, probably and then some. So that's what happened with the house. That was the only time they ever did that. Why did they start the show? Basically, WCW was starting to run more pay-per-views. Uh, they had nine pay-per-views in 95. We know uh, WWF at the time, they were running, what, five pay-per-views a year? Rumble, yep. Mania, King of the Ring, SummerSlam, and Survivor Series. In 95, WCW moved to nine. What were the ones they added? They added uh, Uncensored. Or the other new ones in '95. I know I'm putting you guys on the spot. They did Super Bowl, Uncensored, Slamboree, Great American Bash, Bash at the Beach, Fall Brawl, Halloween Havoc, World War Three. So that was new. That was new. And Starcade. Okay. Yeah. So it was WCW increasing the amount of pay per views. WWE wanted to respond. Uh, WCW moved to ten pay per views in '96. And by 97, they were running uh, 12. WWF hit 12 before that because they started the In Your House in May 95. And they were basically running those in, in the off months between the big five, as they call them, the ones I mentioned before. Uh, the first, well, basically until September of 97, every In Your House was two hours long. By September 97, they moved them to three hours. The first five were just $14.95, which is about 25 bucks in, in today's money. I guess I couldn't really call that cheap for a two-hour show, but you know, compared to it was half of what they were charging for the three-hour pay-per-views, like $29.95 for SummerSlam, for example, and, and Mania, but $14.95 for In Your House. But yeah, I still couldn't get my parents to shell out the money for these. I mean, this was the era where if you didn't have a descrambler or a big antenna in your yard, you had to go to the cable company and rent a box. Like you had to drive across town, get the box, go hook it up at home, rent it, and then return it. You know, it's before digital cable, so not everyone had those in their homes. So it was like a big deal when we got pay-per-views in my house. And so even though they were only 15 bucks, like I could never convince my parents to get these. So I didn't see a lot of them live personally. Uh, but they moved them by, uh, I guess, in your house six, they moved them to uh, 1995. And uh, I mentioned earlier, this first one did 332,000 buys. The second most bought in your house was the April 96, Good Friends, Better Enemies, that we're going to be talking about here in a little bit. That one did 324,000 buys. So in an era when really the business wasn't that hot, as Kyle said, these in your house, these first few, they were pulling in pretty good numbers. I mean, they were beating what the Attitude Era in your houses did later on. 
So um, basically by September of 97, uh, In Your House changed a little bit. The Ground Zero show that happened in September 97, that was the last time that they used that iconic stage. You know, the wrestlers came out of what looked like a house at the top of the ramp. Uh, that was last used in September 97. They kept using the In Your House name after that until fe- February of 99, but In Your House became like the second part of the title. So before this, like they would call it, for example, In Your House Canadian Stampede. But September 97 and afterwards, those subtitles became the lead title. So Ground Zero In Your House, it became Ground Zero In Your House or Bad Blood In Your House rather than the other way around. So they started kind of phasing out the In Your House name. All in all, there was 27 In Your House events. Like I mentioned, the final one was in February 99. That was the St. Valentine's Day Massacre show. Um, They did kind of... They started using the name In Your House for the March 99 Backlash show that had a Rock Austin rematch from WrestleMania that year. But as the show got closer, they actually just kind of quietly removed the In Your House name and it just became WWF Backlash. And that was the end of In Your House. Kyle, you said you had a couple other facts that I didn't mention. Anything you want to throw out to the listeners? Uh, Actually, you know what's funny? In your top 10, remember before the show, I was like, God, you had this other note in here and I thought I was so smart. Uh, in your top ten, you've included the note. So, Ooh, is it no, my first want, one there? Yes. The only other thing I'll include, I will include one thing, is I preferred the unique names of In Your House to how they do it today, where you just have the you know backlash repeated every year. Mm-hmm. I don't think the name backlash means anything and is worth repeating every year. I think you know if you tell me In Your House, beware of dog. I know what the main event of that show was. If you say backlash two thousand nine. I'm going to struggle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought the a, unique branding was great. That's such a good point. And it also, it also brands like the shows for the, the stars that are on them, not just the show as a name, you know, you, like mm-hmm. you said, you can call back and go beware of dog. I know what that, that I know what the main event was because you, you, you can put those stars with that title. It's a great point. Yeah. A couple other things. I got to fact check myself here because I think I misspoke a second ago. It was actually the fifth in your house where they switched to the 1995 price tag. So it was the the first four were the cheaper, basically $15 (laughs) price tag. And by December of 95, which is a show we're going to talk about, they moved it up. They bumped it up to the 1995 uh, price tag. Another quick note. Diesel's title run is over, folks. Give us five more dollars. (laughs) We did you a favor. That's exactly right. That's what happened. Yeah. Yeah. and then uh, the shows were two hours until that Ground Zero show that I mentioned, uh, the September 97 show, and that one ran three hours. And from that point on, In Your House was the same length as the more featured, uh, the big five shows, the three-hour time limits. And, man, guys, wouldn't we want to go back to three-hour pay-per-views these days sometimes? I was just going to say, what would you give up to, to have a two-hour pay-per-view? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Talk about a different era. So Whenever I watch those shows, and this – like lasted until like the early part of, you know, the 2010s, two hours and 50 minutes is such a sweet spot for a pay-per-view, man. Oh, yeah. Like whenever I watch any of those pay-per-views, I'm like, you know, that went by quick. Oh, look at NXT TakeOver. There you go. Yeah. Like you said, it should be an easy watch, you know, mm-hmm. and those were. So we what we did is we all kind of assembled our, our top 10 lists of our top 10 favorite in-your-house matches. So if you guys follow my writing over at comicbook.com, I recently did a column on what was the seven best 
in your house matches. You guys can find actually if you Google best in your house matches, I believe it is the top result. So you can well, see that list me. there. <laughs> Not to pat myself on there the back go. too much, but well, probably because it's recent. Google machine. I didn't know that we were so good at SEO. <laughs> probably just because it's recent, to be honest. But hey, it was a pretty good column. I'm pretty and proud of it. I love the column. And now, to be fair, though, you did not rank them seven to one. So no, the they weren't in, in any particular order. Are going to get that correct? Well, I didn't actually do mine in any particular order this time either, to be honest with oh, you. Although my number one, like I could tell you for sure what my number one is. Yeah. Probably one, two, and three. But yeah, that column, I just, I did them chronological order. Um, so there's, when we look at our top 10, there's probably like six, seven, eight of them that all of us are probably going to have on their lists. And, uh, should I just kind of run down those? Because, I mean, these are going to these are gonna make the list regardless. I, I think, well, let's just start with Ground Zero. All right. So Undertaker, Shawn Michaels, Ground Zero, September 97. The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels were unbelievable together. You know, we all know about the WrestleMania matches, 25 and 26. But you go back to 97 and in early 98, these guys had this program it started basically coming out of the finish of SummerSlam 97, where special referee Shawn Michaels cost The Undertaker the match with the chair shot against Bret Hart. And then they have this match at Ground Zero in your house in September. Spoiler alert, another one that we're going to be talking about, October 97, the Hell in a Cell <laughs> match, right? They had the Royal Rumble match after that. Like, these guys, oh my God, talk about ring chemistry. I'm pretty sure that this made all of our lists. This made mine. Uh, it made Kyle's. Justin, you got this one on your list? I'm looking down nope. right now. Oh, you don't have this one on your list. Zach, would this one make your list? This was on my list. Yep, absolutely. So this is this is a really Can good I match. Can I comment yeah. on one thing on that match? Yeah. Please? Yeah. The opening five seconds of that match may be the best opening five seconds of any match I've ever watched in history. <laughs> Where Sean is holding... Uh, I can't remember if it's Earl Hepner or Mike Kyoto now in front of him because I, one of them replaces the other one. But he's holding the ref in front of him, like hiding from the Undertaker. And then he kind of gently shoves the ref into the Undertaker and he turns around and he does like this sweat off my brow. Like, I'm safe. And <laughs> while he's doing that, Undertaker just decks the ref and Michaels turns around and has this unbelievable reaction, which is just like, uh-oh, I'm fucked. <laughs> and... I just want to use that to say the opening five seconds of a match is you can really hook the audience in right off the rip. And I just don't know if I've ever seen a better start to a match ever than this. I mean, the ending is obviously a schmoz, but at least we get the Undertaker plancha uh, to kind of make up for it. But this was a novel brawl, and I think it starts right from the jump, man. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good... uh assessment of, of a lot of HBK matches on these in your house shows. I mean, he, he, the way, the way he sells against really all of his opponents and a variety of different styles, whether it's Owen Hart or the undertaker, he's got just this really just this, this, this incredible way of just reacting to, to his opponent and it helps the matches so much. Mm -hmm. The way he runs to the in your house set Ryan mentioned this is the last time they used this set. He runs to the set at the start of the match and tries to escape through the door, and it's locked. What a freaking hoot and a half that is. <laughs> imagine, you know, imagine starting a match with a lockup, 
Okay? Start a match by hitting the referee and then the heel running to try to get out of a door. That's the <laughs> way you do it. These guys didn't have much of a history before this. You think about how many years they had been no. in the WWF together, and they never really worked any high-profile program until 97, which is kind of mind-boggling. I don't think you can yeah. replicate that dynamic in 2020. Can you imagine keeping two stars that big? And, and granted, Sean was a tag team guy at first, but for like seven years, See, yeah, they seriously. just somehow don't wrestle at all. Yeah, that, 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 That's impossible to do in the modern era. Yeah. I mean, they, I know they work together at some house shows and stuff, but as far as television feuds and pay-per-views, yeah, not at all, which is, is mind-boggling. Uh, so, Justin, you did not have this one on your list. This is one that we most of us had on our list, though. Why why did this one not make your list? Do you want to tell the listeners? Honestly, I don't think I've watched it since, you know, maybe a, a year after it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure if I went back and rewatched it, I, it would probably make my list. Um my list is a little bit more just reactionary from just memory. Yeah. And to be fair, this match, although it's good, doesn't stack up to the one they had the next month, which I know you do have on your list, right? Mm-hmm. And that bad blood. But, this would be to me, probably the greatest, uh, in your house match. I think no doubt this would be number one if I'm ranking 10 down to one. Uh, so they followed up this match at bad blood with the first ever hell in a cell match. A cage no one can enter. Shawn Michaels has his date with destiny. Destiny. A hell no man can escape. Undertaker, I'm going to take you down, put you down, and bury you underneath that ring. There's nowhere to run. There's only one way out. Nowhere to hide. And that's over my dead body. No one to stop the cottage. Shawn Michaels, the Undertaker, hell in a cell. I can never rest in peace. WWF Bad Blood in your house live this Sunday on pay per view. Like this in my life. This is not a pretty sight. We knew it wouldn't be. Mike has got to do what he has to do to survive. Oh, no! The hands are featured to show Michael being rearranged thanks to the Undertaker. Incoming, Andrew! Incoming! Michael may be broken in half. Somebody's got to stop this, big man. Michael's is a bloody mess. If you go back and you watch this one now, the cell looks quite a bit different than the cell you will see today. It's not quite as tall. In fact, Sean hits his feet on the roof of the cage a couple times, taking backdrops. But it was just, I think it's still the best Hell in a Cell match ever, and it was the first one. So that's quite the testament to the work that these guys put in. So they, they topped what they did at September. Kyle's got this on the list. I got it on my list. Justin does. I'm sure you do, Zach, as well. Yep, absolutely. Yep. It's not not only it's I mean, it's a it's a match that stands up not just, you know, best in your house matches, but I mean it's a it's a top match, period. Yeah, absolutely. Uh Justin, your first memories of watching this one? Visual of Undertaker ramming Sean's face into the cage, Mm -hmm. uh Sean falling from the cage, Kane showing up. Just all those kind of those little moments that 
made for a lot of things we really had never seen before. And I mean, just imagine the first gimmick match really not, not only setting the bar, but setting it so high that nobody else comes close in my opinion. Mm -hmm. This is kind of like cocky, arrogant. Of course, DX was just starting, but like prime Shawn Michaels of that era. I love the promo he gave that night before the match where he yells out, he says, uh, he says, ain't nobody crazy enough to do this gig except the heartbreak kid. I love yeah. that line. And, and mm-hmm. let's also not forget earlier that promo saying, quote, at least my coveted European title is not on the line tonight. <laughs> yes, yeah. oh, I mean, Sarcastic, what a snarky. that yeah. was. All right, Sean, obviously all the talk is over with. Your illustrious career on the line in moments because only one man is going to walk out of the hell in a cell. Best I can tell, there's good news and there's some bad news. The good news is this match is not for my coveted European Championship. That will stay around the waist of the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. Now, the bad news. 15-foot high steel cage. No way in, no way out. Well, there is one way. Through a locked door. Once I get in, once the Undertaker gets in, it'll be locked behind me. Troops, I think I'm going to have to go this one alone. If it weren't for my wonderful athletic ability, the fact that I'm tougher than nails, the fact that I'm the man here in the World Wrestling Federation, the fact that I'm the showstopper, the headliner, the main event, is the only thing that's going to get me through this. That... And the fact that I am the most tenacious man in the World Wrestling Federation. And the fact of the matter is, ain't nobody crazy enough to do this gig, except for the heartbreak kid. So I'm going to go out there and show you why I am the number one guy in this business today. Gentlemen, ladies. Thank you very much. Look, I'm just a total middle finger to the Bulldog and him just, you know, getting that booking overturned that's a whole story one night only Mm. i mean when he like i laugh every single time i see that problem i'm like what an asshole seriously like like, brett or especially the bull like i would have like charged him yeah prime arrogant sean michaels there it is yeah and that kind of made the match to me because the whole story of this match was all right you kind of think Sean is going to win to set up the match with Brett at Survivor Series. Because remember, this was to set up the number one contender. Yeah. But it's like, well, how's he going to beat The Undertaker? And I'm going to go on the record right now. I think the Kane finish is outstanding. I know there are some people, because you're trained to think this way, oh, well, it was interference, so that kind of sucks. I'm going to, like, deduct a quarter star or something. I couldn't disagree more in this instance. The only logical way for Shawn Michaels to win this match is for the Undertaker's presumably dead half-brother to show up and interfere. (laughs) Right? I mean, that's, like, the only way he wins. And, like, think about the whole Kane storyline. Put yourself back in 1997. Like, it sounded really stupid. Let's just be honest. Like, they're going on about this thing. And if there was, like, Twitter or if the at that time or if the internet wasn't in its infancy my god the compl- i mean i know there was complaining going on at the time but people were like dude this is gonna be horrible this sounds really shitty <laughs> but they i mean 
there was no better way for Kane to debut than the way they did it. I thought it was a complete home run. Um, love the finish. Love Jerry Lawler yelling incoming when Michaels hits the table. And, you know, not to put this into a dark place, I am still astounded that these two are able to have a match this good with the shadow of the Brian Pillman death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Like, that is insane. Like, we're, like, like, wow. Like, you know, Meltzer, if you read his Observer for that period, it's just all Pillman, and he doesn't even review the pay-per-view. And his last line is like, and somehow Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker went out that night and had the greatest cage match of all time. Yeah. No, it is. It's amazing that they were able to put that together. And they sure as hell did, and it, it stands the time. It's still one of the greatest cage matches of all time, and in my opinion, still the greatest Hell in a Cell match of all time. So kudos to those guys. I think... I think when you look at the history of In Your House, there's pretty much three names that rise to the top that could lay claim to the title Mr. In Your House. And it's Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, and Bret Hart. You know, when I look at my list, those mm-hmm. are the names that come up the most. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I was going to say. What's that? Two of them were, but I, I was actually surprised by your third. Not Bret Hart? Who are you going to say? No, not The Undertaker. Bret, so Bret and Shawn are gimme. Okay. I'm okay. going to say Steve Austin. Oh yeah, Steve. Steve is Steve well, is in a couple know, of mine as well. Yeah, he's on mine a lot on my list too. As I look at my list, I've got the Undertaker like four times. Four. He's in four of my ten, and I think I think Austin's in three of them. So yeah, it's pretty close. Pretty close for Ryan, sure. I want to bring this back full circle because I know we're going to move on to different matches. Yeah, you, you made a very excellent point at the, when we started this top ten. The Undertaker to me, I don't think enough people think this or at least it's it's not talked about enough. Maybe it is, and I'm just not paying attention. The Undertaker is Shawn Michaels' best opponent. They yes. had such a unique chemistry. I mean, when you look at this era, and then, of course, you go to the two WrestleMania matches at the end of Shawn's career and how different those are than what they did in 97, it's, you can't create that, you know, like in terms of like a, like the booking committee. Like they just had it, man. They 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 just worked unbelievably well together in the ring, and I, I have no hesitation calling Undertaker Shawn Michaels' best opponent of all time. Yeah, I think I think you definitely make the argument. And again, it's pretty crazy that they didn't work a high profile program for seven years until '97, and then wow, they come out of the gate with this at September '97's Ground Zero, and they follow that up with Bad Blood, and then yeah, later on WrestleMania. Not to mention Royal Rumble 98 and, yeah, just all kinds of uh, good matches between the two. So plenty to to check in the archives there. I guess we could keep this on 97. And uh, one that I think made all three of our lists, I'll ask Zach, but the uh, the 10-man at Canadian Stampede a couple months earlier, July 97. It's just the atmosphere of that match. The crowd mentioned a couple weeks ago on the show, but to me, it's it's the greatest WWE crowd of all time that night in Calgary. Uh, the match is it's like a ten man tag, so it's hard to it's hard to rank that like ring quality wise versus like some of these singles matches and stuff. Like you get all the stars a little bit in a ten man tag, but I think overall, just the way they involved the Hart family, not just the people in the ring, but the people at ringside, and then of course what happened after the match with the celebration and stuff. This has to make the list for me. So this is on my list. It's on Kyle's list. Uh, Justin, it's on your list. Zach, would this one make your list? Yes, this is high on my list too. I've got this uh, ranked fourth on, on my list. Just and and like you said, it's not 
I don't even really know. Like, if you took this exact match and you put it in a different environment in a different building with a different crowd, who knows how how good it would be? But just the environment is is what's there, and I mean that's what's so memorable about it, and the fact that you had some some obviously some top some some top stars in there. But the the crowd reaction is something that's it's unforgettable, and it and it, it really helped make the match. Can you imagine if Sean would have been in this match? Oh, you know, this was, the heat he oh my god it would have been even greater it was already a great match but you know this was when sean was kind of away because oh, of the what, fight though? in the locker room and everything yeah you know what though would it have taken away from austin i don't know if, I mean, it might, like, yeah, if it seriously might have i think yeah but they had they had just been you know the tag team champions so they still mm-hmm. had all of that going on too and or actually yeah, they hadn't I, I, had they won yeah they had been the tag team champions Sorry, yeah they so, had then yeah. like yeah and then they they relinquish it but I just think like Austin was so awesome that it didn't even matter who his teammates were his performance in this is just so ridiculously <laughs> good you know like when he's handcuffed at the end middle fingers yeah off the heart family so like good. like if Sean was there it, it's kind of crazy to think it might have actually gotten in the way of Austin I, I actually I know what you're saying but you know Sean would have kind of been doing a look at me bit I have a feeling because this is 97 and it may have taken away from Austin and Austin was good enough on his own to carry the rest of his team in terms yeah. of yeah yeah, charisma. It's a very good point. It's it's really hard to say, you know, whether it would take away or if you just have two times the heat. I don't I don't know, but certainly Sean in that environment. Holy cow! I mean, look to that raw that was in was it Montreal yeah. in like the mid two thousand where he teased that mm-hmm. Brett was coming out and the nuclear heat he got. Now insert Sean and Canadian Stampede in Calgary in July ninety seven. <laughs> just will be I unreal. A few weeks after this, when he comes back. Yeah. I mean, I know we're we're probably not allowed to repeat some of the language that went back and forth now. I mean, the crowd chat. I mean, I'll never forget Sean saying, quote, why don't you ask your mama and your sister how gay Sean is? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, hello. Oh, I mean, oh boy. God, man. I mean, that, I mean, that was just insane. I'll tell you what, you guys, if you are not, if you have never seen 97 WWF television, for the love of God, go back on the network and watch every single Raw from 1997 because what a year. Unbelievable. Just skip, skip the Gang Wars parts. Uh, this was number three on my list. Obviously, Taker Shot and Hell in a Cell was number one. And it is funny because the focus is kind of on not, like, not in the, the, the in ring stuff. My favorite parts of this are the introduction of Bret Hart before the match and how they build to that pop. And just how much fun Brian Pillman was having during this whole thing. Like, he just had the biggest smile. Remember when he, like, he had t- like he was working Shamrock and he got Shamrock on the ground and he takes Shamrock's arm and he starts doing the tap-out motion with it. He said it looks like he's having the time of his life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that makes me laugh every time. Yeah. I mean, even Neidhart was getting strong baby face pops. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. just going back to uh, talking about, you know, 97 WWF and especially Undertaker being Sean's best opponent. You got to remember, we were we were cheated out of, uh, you know, a couple Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart matches. And especially in this era, era from like 95 to 97. I mean, they could have put on a couple classics that would have put that conversation to bed. Yeah, that's true. Look at Survivor Series 92. 
You know, the first well, time they, they had the high-profile matches, singles. You look at uh, obviously the Iron Man match is a is a little bit uh, controversial between people, I think, but I really like the match. And even you know the Survivor Series '97 match was a really good match before the finish. And yeah, those guys were also kind of made for one another too. We just didn't get the matches. We didn't get the amount of high-profile matches like we had with uh, Taker and Sean. They were supposed to work WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And they didn't because yep. Sean's knee started acting up. Uh, curiously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then they were supposed Hold to work the ring. when Brett's heart, when, when Brett's knee was acting up, but they're still going to work. But then they got into the fight and they were just like, no, we're not going to put these two in the ring together. <sighs> so that, that's what yeah. we're missing. We're missing that 20 to 25 minute, you know, 96, 97 era Brett Sean match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'd agree. I- I think the, uh, the the Canadian Stampede match for for Austin is, is is an important match. I mean, you really get to see not that he, you know, wasn't out of his shell before this point, but this was like to me, like looking back on it, like a a moment where you're watching that guy on your screen and he's got he's got the attention. He's really a star of the match in a lot of ways, and it's just that moment where you're like, all right, if you didn't believe it before this this guy is going to be important I, I, and and just how he's able to kind of shift and and work with that crowd i think is is memorable and really kind of just play off their reaction i think it's it's something that's you know it, it's not necessarily like a, a moment in lights that you look back on and go wow that's that made austin but to me it's a it it is significant in that you really get to see early on or early ish on that this this guy's going to be special Mm-hmm. absolutely great point let's uh let's keep it with 97 let's talk about another one that we had on our list or at least for sure three of us had on our list and that's the uh final four february 97 all right so sean michaels we were just talking about uh justin mentioned the the wrestlemania match kyle mentioned the wrestlemania match with brett and sean that we didn't get and that's because prior to the february 97 in your house final four show sean michaels uh forfeited the WWF championship, the famous moment where he quote lost his smile. And then there was the knee injury story. And, uh, because of that, (laughs) yes, because of that, we had the title decided in this fatal four way match. And I have to say, you know, I'm not usually a fan of fatal four ways, but this one worked. You had Brett, you had Austin, you had Vader, the undertaker, they had a good match. Uh, the winner of the match didn't get much of a title reign. The title changed hands the next night on Raw. But Bret Hart became a four-time WWF champion with the victory in this match. And then he lost it to Sid the next night. But as far as like multi-person matches go, this is a really, really good match. It, it has to make my list. It's on my list. It's on, uh, like I said, it's on Kyle's list and Justin's list. Did this one make your list, Zach? It did, yes. It's a little bit... I got it at number eight, but yes, it certainly did. So you're kind of seeing like the seeds of Bret Hart's heel turn at this point. You know, he's on he's on the way to that double turn with Austin at WrestleMania. Like I mentioned, the following night on Raw, they had the match with Bret defending the title against Sid, and Austin cost him the match. Bret has the, if I remember right, the sharpshooter on Sid, and then Austin comes in and he yeah. hits him with the chair, and we get the finish, and Bret loses the title. So it's. It's kind of this transitional moment. You know, Brett doesn't have the long title reign coming out of this show. But uh, if you want to look at a fatal four-way that really works, watch this one. If you want to watch one that doesn't really work, watch WrestleMania 2000. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, God. It's funny. 
because the, there's no McMahon in every corner yeah. for the final four. <laughs> uh, very interesting there. This like ground zero was a novel brawl at the time. Like there had never really been a match like this in WWF mm-hmm. before they tried this, um, this final four. I think the only drawback is that it's still a battle Royal and that's how everyone gets eliminated. Mm-hmm. But it's really physical. I think it's probably Vader's best ever WWF in ring effort. And, you know, the eye, you know, the, the, bl- I, I don't know if it was hard way or a blade job, you know, it was reported that it was hard way, but Meltzer, he was in his review. He's like, ah, I think he bladed. If you look closely. Um, yeah, just a really physical novel kind of match for February of 97. Yeah. And Justin, you know, when we first became friends in the early 2000s, like I mentioned last week, almost 20 years ago, one of the first things we bonded on is we were huge. Both of us were huge fans of Bret Hart. So I'm curious because I don't think we've ever talked about this. What was your reaction at the time with Bret Hart winning the world title and then losing it the next night? Just irate. <laughs> I was so pissed. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that clinched me following him to Canada and, and wanting to <laughs> stick an enema in Pittsburgh. <laughs> That's a great callback. Yeah, no kidding, man. I was just like, I waited so many months for Bret Hart to come back after the Iron Man match, and he finally gets the world title back, and he's it's gone the next night. What is happening here? Yeah, I, I was pretty mad. But yeah, this is a good match. Definitely look it up if you haven't seen it. As far as multi-people matches go, it's, it's really good. Um, so I think as far as 97 goes, I think that's all of them that us three had on our list. Did you have any others from 97, Zach, that we haven't covered? I'm going through my list here, and I don't think so. I think that's the only 97 stuff that I have. Uh, yep, that's it. Yep, but I okay. was right on the same page with you guys. Okay, so I guess we will... Uh, there's there's one beyond 97 that we're going to come back and talk about, but I think we'll just kind of keep rewinding here then, and let's go to 96, the, the year previous, and one that was on all of our lists, and uh, it's the Shawn Michaels-Mankind Mind Games match from September 96. Now, this is a match that... Uh, Mick Foley talked about for years as his favorite match of his career. I believe he said something, a different match recently. I can't remember which match he said, but for years and years, this, was it the Orton match? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for years and years though, he said that this was his best match, his favorite match that he wrote about it in his first autobiography. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a really good match because you think about prime Shawn Michaels in September 96, who's just so unbelievably in shape. You know, Brett has talked about that at the time, getting ready for the, uh, the Ironman match, how he had to get himself in the best shape possible to keep up with Shawn because he was just in ridiculous shape and mankind keeps up with him in this match. It's, you know, it's like a half hour match and it, it has the iconic bump through the Spanish announce table off the turnbuckle to the outside, which is mm-hmm. really, really iconic. It's it's a good brawl, but also Mankind keeps up with him in a, in a technical sense. You know, they they get technical in the ring, and, and he's with them every step of the way. I think to this point in his career, like this was Foley's, possibly his best technical outing as well. And, uh, yeah, it has to make the list. It's on all of our lists. I'm, I'm assuming it's probably on Zach's list. But, uh, yeah, I guess anyone that wants to step in, what, what did you guys, uh, what was your rationale for putting this one in? This is uh, number two for me. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I love this match. You know, that one moment when uh, they pretend like Mankind makes a mistake and Sean yes. is pissed at him. That is just one of the best moments ever. Just yeah, 
really letting the crowd get worked at. And it's, you know, is this real, you know, is this fake? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I also, the other one moment I, I really loved was Sean jumping off the chair in, uh, kicking mankind who was also holding a chair. That was a great moment too. Yep. Yeah. Maybe the best sweet chin music ever. <laughs> Shelton <laughs> Benjamin has something to say. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I love this match too. I've got this. This is actually my number one. Um, and, not, and right behind, right behind the, you know, the one, a one B mind games and, and, and bad blood. But I, I like, I, I like, the psychology in this match and it goes right into what I do on my 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 pro wrestling torch show and like just watching the nuances of Shawn Michaels in this match and the way he sells for for mankind the way mankind sells for Shawn it's it really is good stuff and it's it's a fun match to watch but it's also a match that really I think showed the range that Shawn Michaels had he was able to this was this was technical in certain spots but it also was a fight and a brawl in certain spots too and I think he really showed just the range he has as a, a performer and kind of took him up where we got to to see a little more of a, an aggressive Shawn Michaels for the for the first time so I I love this one I've always have loved this match from the first moment that I saw it um tops for me really good stuff mm-hmm so as you keep it with 96, it's going to stay with Shawn Michaels. And uh, that's the good friends, better enemies match. By the way, Kyle, did you have anything else to say on that? I, throw it to me after you introduce the match. Okay. So Shawn, Shawn Michaels, Diesel, good friends, better enemies, April 96. I got to say, with this one, like if you look at the last, I guess, six months that Kevin Nash had in the WWF before he went off to WCW and did the whole NWO thing, which rekindled the business for sure. He had a really good last six months with WWF. You look at uh, the Survivor Series match with Bret Hart, right, in, in November of 95. You look at uh, February 96, he had a really good match with Bret at In Your House. He had The Undertaker at WrestleMania 12. And then in April, he had this outing with Sean. It's his first big title defense coming off of winning the title for the first time at WrestleMania 12. And uh, just... It's an awesome match. It was in Omaha. You had Mad Dog Vashon there, the iconic <laughs> spot with the uh, the prosthetic leg getting used in the match. Uh, I've just always really liked this match. It seems like when people look at the best outings from Kevin Nash over his career, people point to either this one or, the, or that Survivor Series 95 match with Bret Hart. But uh, I, pr- I prefer, as far as Kevin Nash's best match goes, I'd say the Survivor Series match is a little bit better. But as far as In Your House goes... This is up there for me. I think uh, Sean just had a, had a great outing with Kevin Nash here, Kyle. Yeah, so I have the Mankind match number four, and I have the Diesel match number five on my list. And I just want to say, I don't think this is a hot take at all. I like Sean and Brawls better than quote-unquote work rate matches. I mean, like, the, these yeah. are, like th- this to me, if we would have gotten this Sean more during his world title run, I think it would have been a little more successful. Like, just the way he walks to the ring for this Diesel match, like, it brings out an intensity um, that I really liked. I think Kevin Nash having probably the best match of his career uh, in his last televised match for the promotion is very on brand for him. <laughs> you know, that, 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 Like, I mean, I don't think anything says Kevin Nash quite like that. Um, and then, you know, I love the powerbomb spot in this match where 
diesel power bombs Michaels through the table, and Vince McMahon goes into full oversell mode. Let it be over. Let it be over. <laughs> like that is just some really good stuff from Sean. And like, you know, it played up like Nash was giving Vince all these dirty looks. That was some really cutting edge stuff for '96. And I'm totally with you, Ryan. I, I thought uh, the character work uh, that he did as Diesel. Um, the best stuff he ever did was the last six months before he left the promotion, after he loses the title. He wasn't smiling Diesel anymore. He was kind of the original tweener mm-hmm. in the promotion, and, and he did it beautifully. So, yeah, love Sean and Brawls. Love this. Love the Mankind match. You know, the yeah. you mentioned the table spot, and I'm, we mentioned that in, in Mind Games, too. Those were all, for you know newer fans, those were like really rare spots during that era. Mm-hmm. You didn't see that happen mm-hmm. all that much. So when, when they went through the tables, that was a big deal. So, yeah, go ahead, Justin. The thing I love about this 96 Sean run, you know, going, you know, talking about the mankind matches, how good he was at towing the line between what's a work and what's real. You know, you had the the quote unquote flub moment in the mankind match. And then here at the end of this match, the intensity shows and mm-hmm. how seemingly really pissed off he is at Diesel for, uh, you know, obviously at this point he knows he's leaving. Uh, it's just tremendous work on Sean's part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Zach, was this one on yours? It was. Yep, yep. And really, can't add too much more outside of what you guys said. What I noticed, and it's a kind of a <laughs> a weird thing to notice, and you certainly wouldn't have noticed it as you watched it live in 1996. But looking back on it, the commentary on Shawn Michaels is it's pretty like over the top. I mean, Vince McMahon numerous times, the quote unquote, the leader of the new movement in the WWE, Shawn Michaels. And it's just like, man, you know, I, I hear like the big dog, Roman Reigns back in 1996. <laughs> oh my exactly God. Puff like is taken to my veins. <laughs> yep. It's like, <laughs> it's like, he just can't. It's, it's like it's the same thing. It's it's the same thing, and it it really stuck out. And 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 watching it back in 2020, it's like boy, it's a it's it's annoying now, and I'm, I'm sure it was annoying then. Although, uh, albeit a little bit different. So you know, outside of your guys' points, which are all just well taken and and, and well said, um, that is a standout. When you watch it back, you're like boy, okay, this kind of marketing effort and and uh, corporate nonsense existed in 1996 too. <laughs> I, I want to send this around. The- horn because i actually had this same thought with a match that i don't i thought it was more evident in a match that you're going to bring up ryan that happened a few months earlier but i think roman reigns is a like it in this i don't know if you want to pick a year whatever year whatever it doesn't matter just the modern era is a better baby face than Shawn michaels was in 1996 like like sean was a better worker there's no doubt he had these great matches but dude like this character like the dancing? <laughs> Come on, man. It's a little, I, you know, that's really funny you say that because I was watching one of his matches from this era the other day and I had it on the TV upstairs, you know, and like the wife's around and the kids and stuff. And Sean does his entrance where he's dancing on top of the in your house set and stuff. And I'm kind of like, I'm a little uncomfortable watching this. <laughs> It's like, it's really awkward. And like Vince McMahon, it's just like, you know, the verbal fellatio is just off the charts. It's gross. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I I would agree. As far as like a textbook baby face goes. Yeah. Reigns for sure. Not, not, I, I think not to misconstrue. We're not saying he's a better wrestler than Shawn Michaels, but as far as, yeah, like a, 
Uh, textbook baby face. Yes, go ahead, Zach. I, I think the presentation for sure. I, once the bell rings, though, I, like the sympathy that Shawn Michaels can drum up, and and really a lot of these matches, whether it's this one or other 1996 stuff or even 1997. I mean, as a baby face, Shawn selling. I mean, I don't know that there's a better baby face in terms of selling in a match than than Shawn Michaels. Yeah, that's true too, for sure. Yeah, this uh, this April '96 in your house with Diesel, the Good Friends, Better Enemies. I I also wanted to note that was the first time that one of these in your house shows actually had an official subtitle. So the mm-hmm. first uh, was it five or six before this? I guess it would have been the first six before this. They were kind of like retroactively given names, like the February '96. It became Rage in the Cage, and you know all that. But this was the first time we're heading into the event. It had a subtitle. So good friends, better enemies, April 96 in your house. And Great name. yeah. So as far as 96 goes, I think as far as the unanimous picks, that's all of them from 96. Zach, did you have any others from 96? I had one from 96, but I'm going to save it for the end. But if you have another one, Zach, feel free. I did. I had one here and I want to make sure that I, that I get it right. Cause it was one that stuck out to me. Um, where is it? I actually have two more from 96, actually. Correct myself. More than one more. Thank God. Yeah, yeah I actually have two from 96, too. I wonder if they're the same. So I've got Shawn Michaels versus Owen Hart yep. uh, from the February 1996. And then I also have um, Stone Cold Steve Austin against Savio Vega from May 1996. That, I, I, I love that match. Just the stiffness of that match is insane. I, I enjoy watching it to this day. Certainly not something that I think is going to make, uh, you know, m- any more of your articles, Ryan. But to me, <laughs> this one is one that stands out. That's the strap match, right? Uh, yes. Yeah, yes. that's a, that's a, that is a really good match. strap match. Yeah, that's a really good match. I actually it is. I consider match. Yeah, man. I consider that if if this was a top fifteen, that would have been on mine for sure. Me too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that is a good pick. I do like that pick. Yeah. Go ahead, Kyle. That, that match is famous for Ted DiBiase's last match in the promotion. And mm-hmm. I loved the kind of retconning they did afterwards where Austin claimed he lost on purpose because he didn't want Ted DiBiase to be his manager anymore. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that was like a little, I thought that was kind of a, a neat <laughs> bit of storytelling. Ted obviously went to uh, WCW and um, was part of the NWO and kind of a forgettable type deal, but whatever. Um, that was Austin's first really good match in almost two years. That's incredible to think about because he was so injured at the end of his WCW run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that is that is definitely worth a rewatch. I like that pick. And I also had the Sean Owen match from February 96. And I actually, you know, kind of thinking about it because my rationale for this match, I'm not that surprised that you picked it, Zach, because we're talking about storylines and the artistry going into that match and everything surrounding it is why it made the list for me, but I'll let you, I'll let you talk first. Why did, why did you pick that one? No, that's yeah, exactly. That that's why I picked it. I mean, I think the, the, the happenings around it, you know, kind of frame it up in, in a big way, but I also just, I like the match itself. You know, I like, uh, you know, you kind of, you see Sean really at his, at his boiling point in a lot of ways is right before he's going to win the, the, the big championship at, at WrestleMania. Um, and so I think it's a, it's a, it's a good match as a standalone, but also just for the history in the career of one of the best, it's like a, it's like really the, the boiling point match that, that sends him over the top and ready for that 
big run that he gets the, later in the year. Mm-hmm. It's it's like he had to conquer that foe, that final foe in Owen Hart yeah. to get to WrestleMania 12. This match, I also recently wrote a column on Owen Hart's top 10 matches on Comic Book, and this one was in the top 10 for Owen Hart matches. And it's a lot of it is the backstory, as I mentioned, because if you go back to the previous fall, you know, Sean had the incident where he was attacked legit by people outside of a bar in Syracuse, New York. And not long after that, him and Owen had a match where Owen gave him an enziguri kick and then Sean collapsed in the ring. And this was like the early days of the internet and it actually fooled a lot of people. People thought it was legit, but it was Sean and Owen working the internet crowd, working everybody. And then Sean was off for a couple of months and he joked, or not joked, but he he talked about maybe his career was over. And then he comes back at the Royal Rumble, wins the Royal Rumble, and he has a chance to go on to WrestleMania, but he has to conquer Owen Hart because Owen Hart, for the previous couple of months, had been talking about how he was the man who was who had ended Shawn Michaels' career. And so Shawn had to conquer Owen to get to Brett at WrestleMania. And this match was actually for that WrestleMania match. So mm-hmm. I guess conceivably, you know, mm-hmm. you could have got Owen and Brett in WrestleMania's main event. You know, I think anyone watching at the time kind of knew it was going to be Shawn and Brett. But, you know, that was that was the stipulation at the time. Owen being one of the best workers in the promotion during the mid-90s. Sean, obviously, as well. Both of them are kind of high flyers. It's a really good match. And, yeah, it, it made my top ten. made Zach's top ten. I know it didn't make you guys, but, you know, it was probably, like, on the perimeter perimeter of making your list. Yeah, I considered it, for sure. I think the Enziguri spot in the match is absolutely tremendous as the callback yeah. to the angle. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the match, though, to what Zach was talking about earlier, where Vince McMahon, I mean, my oh. God, him, him and Sean needed to get a room or something, dude. <laughs> this was, like, the, the over-the-top praise was was getting a, a little much, but still, it, 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 it just missed out on my list. Yeah, I absolutely considered it. Okay. It, it, it really is like a... I mean, you're you're so right. And the commentary, but then even the way the match is just structured out, like it, it's a good match, no question. But it really, it's a match for for Shawn Michaels. The, the, the selling, the comeback, his fire up mm. at the end. It's all kind of classic, you know, 1996 Shawn and and Owens the the mechanic in there for it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, that Vince McMahon during this one, you're you're right. Like, good grief, it's like, come on. <laughs> Yeah, so Owen making two appearances on the list here with this one and then the 10 man. If you guys want more talk on Owen Hart, check our archives if you missed the show. One week ago, we did a, an examination on the life and legacy of Owen Hart. I really, really enjoyed that show. So if you're listening and you didn't catch it, check that out on our feed. But uh, yeah, as far as 96 goes, um, I had one more match from 96 on this list that I guess I might as well mention now. And it, this was in my 10th spot. I couldn't quite dis- decide on which match I was going to throw in here. There was a few I was considering, including the Savio Vega Steve Austin match. But uh, I ended up going with The Undertaker and Mankind at October 96's Buried Alive show. And um, there's a few reasons for it. I just think going into the match, it was so unique. You know, a Buried Alive match just was a really cool stipulation cool gimmick with the match i love the lightning strike at the end when when everyone buries like all the guys come out and bury the undertaker even though he won the match he beats mankind but then you know they, they have the uh the executioner come out terry gordy and, uh, a real, real low point of terry yes it was yes it was 
But uh, God bless just, his soul. I just really like this match. I like the feud that the Undertaker and Mankind had with with Paul Bearer turning on the Undertaker in the summer of '96 and the Boiler Room Brawl and uh, SummerSlam that year, leading up to this. So this made my list. I think uh, Justin was this on your list? Yes, it was. Yeah, I, I had this at number nine for all the same reasons you said. Obviously, it's easy to pick apart. It's easy to criticize, um, but the excitement level going in. And compared to a lot of like, you know, new gimmicks, I, we recently criticized the Inferno match for something that we were excited for and it didn't live up to expectations. Uh, I, I, I think this did a much better job of, of doing that and was you just can't forget about how exciting it was at the time. Mm hmm. Yeah, so it's it's just kind of yeah. an over the top match, but it was just so cool and so unique. It's that's why I put it in there for Hit sure. Me with your trivia, Ryan. Oh, okay. So the other trivia piece on In Your House Buried Alive in October 96. I'm glad you threw that out there. I might have forgot. This was the first WWF pay-per-view event where the world champion was actually not active on the pay-per-view show. So Shawn Michaels was the world champion at the time, not in action on the show. He actually wrestled Goldust in a dark match after the show went off the air. So the live crowd, I think in Indianapolis, I believe that night, they, mm -hmm. they got that match, but uh, it was not on the air. So for very first time, WWF pay-per-view without the world champion on air at the time. Can anyone name the only other in your house where the active world champion did not work in some capacity? I've got a dollar for you. Uh, hmm. Let's see. Canadian Stampede? Nope. Undertaker no, he worked, worked Vader. That show. Did he work Vader at that show? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He was supposed to work Ahmed Johnson, actually, but then Ahmed got hurt, mm -hmm. which is extremely on brand. <laughs> I don't oh, know. Well, I'd have to think yeah, about that's it. good trivia. The answer is No Way Out of Texas. In mm. February of 98, Sean was supposed to work, but of course had his injury. back injury. Yeah, that's right. That makes sense. Ah, uh, yes. All right. So I think that wraps up 96. Uh, 90... was replaced by Savio Vega, who was in a much darker place than that Caribbean strap match. <laughs> yes. So 95, the year that In Your House was born, um, the year ended with an unbelievable match. I, I will never forget the first time I saw this match, and it was actually kind of clipped at the time. It was on a WWF home video, not even – I don't – I don't remember if it was Coliseum. I think it actually was Coliseum video, but it was, it was, I think I bought it at a Kmart. It was confirmed hits, WWF confirmed hits. And it had the Brett, yeah, it had the Bret Hart British Bulldog match from December 95 in your house. I love this match. I actually like this match more than the match that they had at Wembley Stadium at SummerSlam 92. Uh, just the way Brett, blades in this match oh my god there is so much blood in this match i couldn't when i first saw it the first time i was probably 13 years old i could not believe all the blood in this match and he is just there's there's literally puddles of blood on the outside of the ring it is a really really good match it's very very different something i think you're going to talk about kyle than the match yes. they had at wembley stadium three years earlier and uh it's a unique finish as well uh I think Brett wins with the Mahi Straw Cradle, if I remember yes, right. Lama, yes, Lama, yes, La Mahi yes. Yeah, but uh, God, this is a great match. And if I if I'm picking a Brett Davy Boy Smith match, it's this one. Kyle, what did you notice about this one? Okay, 
it's maybe better than Wembley. I love that you like it better than Wembley. That's a that's a that's a man's call right there. I do. I like um, it better because it goes against the grain. <laughs> I, I like that you said that. I, I don't know if I think it's better, but it's damn close. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one thing I love about Bret Hart overall as a performer is he can have multiple great matches with the same opponent, but the matches themselves end up being quite different. Like this is a very different match than Wembley. Wembley's a babyface versus babyface deal. This Davy Boy's a heel. I think Davy Boy's a lot better in this match. I, I think if you're going to make the case that this is the better match, a lot of that's probably going to be set around the fact that Davy Boy Smith it just works a lot better here than he did in Wembley. I think he was completely carried at SummerSlam '92 yep. by Brett. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, those are different. Oh, the Owen Hart matches that he has, Brett, uh, WrestleMania and SummerSlam, very different matches. Austin. Survivor Series 96 and WrestleMania 13. Very different matches. He could have a technical match and a brawl with the same guy, and they're both very good. That is a huge mark in Bret Hart's favor uh, as a performer. This was number six overall on my list. Okay. Uh, Either two of you want to talk about this one? This one, for me, <clears throat> it's on my list, too, and it's just it's it stands out because of the, the blood, like you said. I mean, it, I mean that is a... I, I, it's like you can't unsee that when when I think of that match, that's what I think of, and I'm sure other it was a good match outside of that, no question. But to me, that's in 1995, you didn't see a whole lot of that yes, stuff. Yes, exactly. That that really stands out. Mm-hmm. What was the previous big blade job on WWE pay per view before this? Mm. Did we not have blood since WrestleMania eight with Flair and Brett? I'm sure there was, but nothing that like there stands out in, in a major yeah. way. Yeah, there had to have been. Hold all right, so ninety. I don't know because remember, I mean, Flair got in all that trouble. I'm trying to think. Ninety three, dude. I don't know if there was. I'm sure know. if someone's listening, they're gonna you know correct us on Twitter. But yeah, I I legitimately am not convinced there was a. Blade job on pay-per-view between WrestleMania 8 and this. No, nothing that really thinking? stands out. Nothing that's iconic. That's for sure. Nobody would have done it. Nobody would have dared done it on the undercard. Yeah. And I'm trying to think. No, no. Like Luger era, no. Um, you know, Hogan could always get away with it, but he only had that quick cup of coffee in 93. Mm-hmm. I, I, and I'm trying to think of the other in your houses. And and again, it's not just a little. Like there's puddles yeah, no, I mean, yeah, of blood. It's, it's like insane. Yeah. yeah. Vince's like, oh, I don't want to. Let's not get a close up of that. Vince mm. could be a good commentator sometimes. <laughs> Justin, when was the first time you saw this match? Uh, the network. Yeah. I never saw it until the network. I think I bought oh. it. I think I bought the tape of this show at a, at the Kmart that I believe you worked at at one point in time, but it, you would have worked at there years later. Cause I bought it in like 97, 97, uh, no, maybe 96. The good old days when for the grand opening, I was Twinkie the kid. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now going to introduce you as Twinkie the kid from now on. You should have never told me that. <laughs> I <laughs> write that as down. a badge of honor. Yes. That's you know, awesome. I don't think I've seen this whole pay-per-view either because the version I had was the winter combat tape and they combined in your house four and in your house five into one thing, but they didn't show all the matches. That's right. I guess the stuff that worked. So I don't think I've ever watched either of those two in your houses proper. 
Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, why would I, you know, I, I don't think there was anything significant on the undercard of this that's worth going out of your way able to watch. No, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much a unanimous pick there. Um, as far as 95 goes, I, I know a few of you have some matches on your list that we can go into. I guess I could throw it first to Kyle because he's got a Bret Hart match uh, with a man who was on Top Rope Nation recently. You want to talk about that one? Yeah, my number 10... Uh... Entrant on this list was Bret Hart against Jean-Pierre Lafitte in your house three triple threat September 95. A few weeks back, we I think we're talking about WrestleMania 11 at the time and talking about how Bret Hart was really greatly misused in 95. Yeah. Until he eventually wins the title. And even when he wins the title, uh, by his own admission, he was a transitional champion. Sean. Now, that all being said, he still had a great in-ring year with a diverse set of opponents. I'm not going to spoil it. I know Justin's got a different one, and I think that's a, a fine choice as well. Uh, for me, I picked Jean-Pierre Lafitte uh, to get the 10 entrant, and, and because you alluded to it, Ryan. Uh, you know, PCO, he was on our show, and if you come on our show, I'm simply going to bump your star ratings up. It's just that simple. <laughs> Shameless. <laughs> yeah, okay? And that's what it boils down to. That You want to know how... We, 10 was a real close call, but you come on our show, I'll tell you what. You're getting a quarter star added every match. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's it's in it's in the conversation. When I got down to them, my tenth pick. I mean, in all seriousness, I'm not just yeah, like yeah, it's a good match. It, it, yeah. it is a really great match. It's not like I'm just doing it for that. But yeah. yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of great spots that you wouldn't expect um, in a 1995 WWF match in this show. And mm-hmm. I really appreciate Brett's 95. You know, with kind of 25 years of hindsight, just because. You know, he was still just finding a way to kind of have unique matches. You know, he was getting thrown some weird opponents and, you know, and, and having some real, uh, some real uh, uh, hoots in the mm-hmm. ring. Did anyone else have this one on their list? Zach, was this on your list? Uh, no, this one did not make my list. Nope. Justin, you had one on your list from 95, which I also considered for my top 10. Just... This one actually was in my top 10 at one point, and then I threw the the Buried Alive match in. You had the Buried Alive match in yours, but you also had this next one from May 95. You want to talk about that one? Bret Hart versus Hakushi. Uh, I gave it some bonus points for being the very first in your house match. Mm-hmm. Granted, there was a dark match, but we're not going to count that. Um, <laughs> kind of, you know, along the same lines as Kyle, this just goes to prove how good Bret was at the time. They didn't get a lot of time in the match, but they still put on a great performance. Um, and then also kind of the running theme of my list is that, uh, frankly, it's a, it's a, in my opinion, a lot of these guys' best match. Uh, I think this was probably Hakushi's best WWF match. You know, we talked about Vader and Diesel earlier. I think the, the HBK Mankind match is Mankind's best match. Um, and then, you know, I guess was the Bret Hart match Davy Boy Smith's best? I mean, I guess, does it come down to that or SummerSlam? Yeah, yeah. I would say probably. so. Well, that yeah, and definitely. the Owen match on Raw, probably mm-hmm. in March. The European title match. All Those those three are probably, when it comes to uh, Davy's matches, those three would be the top for me. Brett and Hakushi did have another match on Raw after that that was probably, like, on the same, I, I haven't watched it in forever. I don't quote me on this again. Someone on Twitter will correct me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure it was the debut of the Space Flying Tiger drop on WWF television. Hmm. 
and that's what it was famous for. Um, I can't, I, I don't remember if the match itself was better than the Arsenal. I really liked the In Your House match. I considered it strongly. It was, it was really a coin flip between that and the Jean Pierre Lafitte match. And you know, I just, I just wanted to make the joke about you know selling out to interviews. <laughs> <laughs> well worth it. Well worth it. Mm-hmm. Was this one on yours, Zach? This one wasn't on mine. No, no, I didn't have this one on. But it is, a, it is a good match. If and if it was a top fifteen, this would be on there for sure. Um, but uh, <clears throat> I had two other ones later in your house, and and I'm not sure if you guys are considering these in your house pay per view events. But those were the two that I had that kind of rounded out my top ten. Okay. Do you have any for any more from '95? No. Okay. Well, we got. Let's hit one more from '95, and then we'll fast forward because I know there's at least one more that I think all of us are going to mention for sure from '98. '95 uh, looks like Justin and Kyle. You both have one more from '95. I don't. I don't want to praise one of the participants, so I'm going to let Kyle take this one. Okay. You know. Okay. <laughs> this uh, is Jeff. It's Jeff Jarrett's best WWF slash WCW match ever. Yeah. In your house mm-hmm. to the lumberjacks. That's uh, true. Yeah. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Jeff Jarrett wasn't carried in this match at all. I thought he ter- turned it in absolutely tremendous effort. I watched it yesterday just to make sure I wasn't misremembering. Dude, he's really good in this. This is almost like a Southern style brawl, which you just do not get often at all in WWF. And I love this match. I, I don't think it's the match of the year. I think it was, well, I think a lot of people would say the, the ladder match with Razor was for WWF that year. But, you know, this got a, I, I honestly feel like this was like the highest rated PWI WWF match. Am I, maybe I'm misremembering that too, what, for whatever that's worth. But, um, no, I, I thought this was absolutely outstanding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, a fun finish too with, you know, Sean's knee really getting worked the entire match and, Jeff yeah. signaling to Road Dog that hey, yeah. I'm gonna fling him to you, hit the knee. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it was in the conversation quit. for me too. <laughs> they of course quit right after Jarrett and Rody because they didn't like the angle where it was going to turn out Jarrett was lip syncing. Oh yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely a good one. I it would it would be in my top fifteen. I think for sure. Uh, so that, I mean, I think 95 goes, I don't think anyone had anything else from 95. So I guess we'll fast forward then back to the final full year of, uh, in your house. And that would be 1998. So the attitude era is in full swing and, uh, one that all of us had, and I'm, I'm sure this is on Zach's list as well is the in your house over the edge match with Steve Austin and dude love. And we kind of talked about the, kind of the genesis of this story when uh, we did a Top Rope Nation Classics a few weeks ago and we talked about the Raw where uh, Raw finally beat Nitro in the ratings after the 83 weeks and we saw the the Foley turn on that show and that led into two consecutive pay-per-views with Steve Austin and Mick Foley working as Dude Love and this is the better match I think over the edge and uh, mm-hmm. I know Kyle is absolutely loves this match you call this the best match in, in the Attitude Era Yes, I am as high on this match probably as anyone you'll find. This is number two on my list overall. Uh, not only do I think it's the definitive Attitude Era match, I think it's the best U.S. match of either 1998 or 1999. I know there was not a lot of competition. That was kind of a down period uh, for in-ring action, despite the business being arguably at its all-time height popularity-wise. It's not just bell-to-bell for this thing. 
the introductions before this match are freaking hilarious with Pat Patterson doing the Briscoe brothers body shop stuff, Jim Ross with quote, and we know who does the rear ends. (laughs) Okay. Something you could not get away with saying in the year 2020. Um, And we know about Canadian stampede. We talked about that, but don't discount how awesome this Milwaukee crowd is for this match. They love Steve Austin and something that stood out to me when comparing this to the other matches on the list is how satisfying the conclusion was to the match. You think about it, even like the Michaels Foley, that's kind of a cheap ending, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even Brett Bullard, the Lahme Straw is creative, but it's sort of out of nowhere. Final four, ground zero, those are kind of like cheap endings. This is a send the crowd home happy finish. Um, the Undertaker choke slamming Patterson and Briscoe is freaking awesome. The crowd is just going nuts. The best spot in this match, in my opinion, is when Foley is sitting on the guardrail and Austin just clotheslines the absolute shit out of him. And Foley just takes the bump head first on the concrete, which is nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I This is a five-star match for me. I cannot heap enough praise on this. The only thing better than it would be the Hell in the Cell match. Yeah. Zach, on your list? Uh, Yep, this is on my list for sure. Um, For all the reasons that you said, and I'll I'll take it in a different direction. And and just, I mean, this is fever pitch Steve Austin era. You know, I mean, that crowd, like you said, Kyle, is is rabid for Stone Cold Steve Austin. And I think it's a a testament to, because, you know, again, I don't know if you put that match in a different time with a, you know, different set of stars and you do it the same exact way without everything else that's happening around it in terms of star power i don't know that it is you know a five-star match but you've got just the, the red hot baby face and stone cold steve austin you've got dude love the, the heel you got all the vince mcmahon stuff going around around it and it's just it's a it's a match for for that time and for that era of wrestling, and it still holds up today. And I think it speaks to when you've got your characters and your stars lined up the right way, and they're lined up with the reaction that the crowd is is willing and ready and passionate to give them. It, it makes for special in-ring wrestling, and I think this is a great example of that. One of the best matches of that year um, in WWF, for sure. Mm-hmm. Justin? This is number three on my list, and I'm not going to even dare put it any better. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's it's been well said by both uh, Zach and Kyle. It's, it's, it's a really, There's really good match. That I really love with the in-ring storytelling, too, when you compare it to the other matches on this list. So something that's kind of like a little disappointing with the, the only negative with that Michaels Mankind match is that there's a lot of brawling in the match, and it still ends in a DQ. And it feels kind of cheap. And there's another match that I considered didn't make my list that was kind of like, oh, well, uh, the Ground Zero match. You know, there's a lot of like T things that could be DQs and then it still ends in a DQ, which Mm -hmm. is kind of cheap. And Bret Hart, Steve Austin from Revenge of the Taker was the other one. I knew there was another match that I thought I was like, man, you know, there's a lot of time these guys are breaking the rules and then it's kind of cheap that they still end in DQ. Uh That's the uh, the forgotten Bret Steve Austin match, right? Yes. Yeah. the in-ring storytelling, how they start brawling, and then Vince McMahon runs to Patterson and does the 
This is just a reminder. This match is no DQ, which was not agreed on. McMahon was changing the rules. They went was like so awesome. And then to me, this is peak Jim Ross, this match for uh, this year, like second year. Like, I mean, you, you can debate whether it's better than 89 Jim Ross, I guess. But like for this era, Jim Ross, this match is like his peak, like his response. Wait a minute. Since when? Since now? That's not right. (laughs) Like, he's just unbelievable throughout this match. <laughs> I feel like and, this is a, a good point to point out that Jim Ross was on Top Rope Nation. Mm-hmm. So uh, that is not at all influencing Kyle Ross here, though. No, no I, I really thought it was. No, I, no, I, yeah, I, no I, it is legit. I bought, but you really got to watch the Jean-Pierre Lafitte match. It's really good. But anyway, I mean, Jim Ross is just tremendous. <laughs> yeah. Here from Baltimore. I mean, just his reaction and, you know, there's stuff, even in the intros, too, where, like, they, they introduced Pat Patterson as having won a grueling tournament in Rio de Janeiro, and he goes, wink, wink. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Call back to the IC title tournament, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's see. Zach, you got one more, maybe? Yes, I did. I have the one more, and, and it's, it's, uh, it's late, and I, I wasn't sure if I just per the rules could include this in, but I'm a sucker for the backlash rock Austin match in 1999. I mean, it's not a technical classic by any means, but the it's a, it's a hell of a brawl and you kind of, it's, it's, it's the rock, you know, on the come up Austin still as a pillar star. It's coming out of their, you know, their, their, their historic WrestleMania 15 match. And so it could very well be symptomatic of, me at this time like really watching for the very first time but i i still go back and watch that match and it's it still holds up it's a hell of a brawl style match and very much you know 1999 in in style with the audience brawls they're outside the arena uh certainly not a five-star you know matt classic by any means but uh if you're into just crowd responses and just big stars colliding this is that yeah, I, I actually think that's a better match than the WrestleMania match. Yes. And, you know, as you mentioned, because oh, it's kind of it's kind of on the edge. So as I mentioned at the top of the broadcast, that show was initially advertised as In Your House. It was In Your House Backlash. And then they dropped In Your House in the weeks leading up to the event. So, like, sometimes people include this in the In Your House lineage and sometimes they don't. So, yeah, it is. It's right on that it's right on the edge there, and I'll allow it. I'll allow it, Zach. So okay, good, good. <laughs> yes, it, good. It, it, it's a really good match. But I, I'm interested. So better than the WrestleMania match, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it is. Dude, Austin, t- yeah, Austin, by his own admission, was like off that day. Didn't he get like divorced? Yeah, that day or something. Didn't like the the ink get dried on his divorce, Ryan? Am I making that, that up? Sounds right. Yeah, and he forgot his vest too. And he comes down wearing a T-shirt. Yes. He, he, yep. he, mm-hmm. he, yeah. I'm, I'm positive now. The story is like he was like having a really shitty day. Mm-hmm. And and he like said his performance wasn't really that good. Yeah. WrestleMania 15 was just kind of a disappointing show all around. And I mean, it's it's not a bad match by any means. But when you look no, at the Rock Austin matches. Yeah. Yeah. When you look yeah, at the yeah. Rock Austin matches at WrestleMania, like it's my least preferred of the three. The fact that anyone was still there after they hung the big boss man is a, <laughs> <laughs> a testament yeah. to those yeah. where they were. But uh, anyways, yeah, no, this was a really good discussion in hey, your house. I really enjoyed this. Go ahead, Kyle. 
you you don't you don't you don't hung a, a person cannot be hung a person is hanged i apologize for that grammatical mistake mr ryan dross the educator of hey i don't youth. teach english you're you're fine with me okay <laughs> i'll stick to the history man i'll stick to okay. the years and dates and all of that so no it was fun reliving the years of 1995 to 99 with you guys tonight and uh you know, a good deep dive if anyone's looking for some stuff to watch on the network as you get ready for NXT TakeOver in your house. There you go. Those are some great matches you can watch. And uh, I want to thank Zach Haydorn again for joining us. Definitely check out On the Canvas over at PW Torch. And uh, Zach, tell the listeners again, where can they find you on Twitter? You guys can follow me uh, at Z Haydorn Torch. It's uh, at Z H E Y D O R N Torch. And uh, thanks, you guys, for having me. Always just a pleasure chatting with you. Absolutely. We'll have to do it again. And awesome. uh, Kyle, Kyle, where can they find you? At TRP Kyle. And Justin. At Justin Joint? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think that is it. And I am at Ryan Drosty, D-R-O-S-T-E. Find the show at Top Rope Nation. Better yet, send us an email. Let us know what are your favorite in-your-house matches. Top Rope Nation at gmail.com you can also find us on instagram facebook and yeah pretty much all of the social media sites so that's adam ryan drosty here for justin joint kyle ross and zach hadorn catch you guys next time have a good week <laughs>